seen it now that Matt's away. Like it's proper like Christy Elliott when he's got the captain's armband part of here with all just perform a part and carry speak. It's quite funny. <laughs> um, Hello and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week is Reese Haldane. Reese, how are you? I'm ecstatic. A victory on the road away to Kilmarnock. Saturdays don't really come much better, so onwards and upwards for the Jags. Absolutely not. And um, also joining us, um, Jamie McDonald. A very special weekend for you, Jamie, because not only... Um, did I have the curse of the Damnation Festival we lost every year for eight years come to an end? You also had the much-vaunted Doctor Who stat, um, where we never win when Doctor Who is on, and we finally did it, Jamie. How does it feel? New Doctor Who's rubbish, so I don't, I'm, I'm just getting <laughs> that stat. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter to me. But uh, yeah, but buzz with the result, obviously. Fantastic result, a way to come on it. You know, get three points away to the league leaders, never anything to grumble about, about that. So yeah, some, some weekend. Yep, no, we'll get straight into the result. Um, unfortunately, Matt's uh, been on international duty this week. He's been called up to a big fixture on Friday. So um, it'll be myself and Jamie and Reese this week. So we're going to just start with the starting 11, as we usually do. A couple of changes on Saturday. Brian Graham and Cammy Smith went out and Kyle Turner and Connor Murray came in. Jamie, what were your thoughts on the 11? I actually, I actually liked it when I saw it. I'd have probably put in Graham over Rudden from the start, but obviously I'm glad Rudden did start. Scored three minutes into the game. I was I was pleased with the lineup. It was good to mix up a bit. You know, we've been pretty stale and pretty flat with that four four two. We've been playing, you know, three nil nils on the bounds. It's not the most exciting results, and clearly we weren't good enough going forward. So McCall needed to make a change, and he did. And I think he made the right one. I think I was expecting Conor Murray to be on the right and Turner in the middle, but it seemed to be Conor Murray in the middle and Turner on the right. But I thought they both operated really well there. I thought Conor Murray really deserves a mention. I thought he had a really good game. And he, if he can pull performances out like that, you know, he'll be in contention to start again next week. I don't see why he wouldn't. But I was really pleased with that lineup, and I thought it worked extremely well throughout the game and hope to see it next week. Reese, your thoughts on the starting 11? Yeah, just echoing much the same as what Jamie's just said. I expected um, uh, Conor Murray to be on the right and Kel Turner in behind the striker, but obviously it was lined up different and Kel Turner kept his berth out on the right, which, to be fair, uh, Kel Turner and Conor Murray were both excellent at the weekend. Um, but what Jamie was saying, he'd have rather started Brian Graham up front before the game. Um, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I think if we're going to play one up top, it has to be Zach Rudden. Just, he runs himself into the ground. But you can tell after maybe less than 20 minutes if he's on his game or not. Because if you look back to last week, they were playing long balls to him and they were hitting him. They were bouncing all over the place. They couldn't trap a medicine ball. Then the weekend just there, he was on his game. And when he's on it, he's on it. So uh, the starting 11, I was pretty happy with. No qualms with that. It's just sticking on Rudden. Obviously, the goal was a, a, a very early goal. A lot of outraged Kelly fans who thought it was offside. I, I, I will admit, I, I watched the game back in Jackson today. 
the camera isn't the best so it is a bit more difficult to see because the camera's not really focused on Rudden when the pass is made but to be honest it it, it didn't look offside but obviously a lot of Kelly fans uh, were very upset with this. Jamie your thoughts did you think it was offside what what your thoughts on the goal? Well at the game from behind the goal it's quite hard to tell I had a feeling it might have been offside at the time you know, I checked the lines make sure the lines but he didn't seem to raise his flag so I just obviously you're going to take it when you're at the game. But I've watched the back and I've looked at, um, you know, pictures of it and people have put it on Twitter and stuff. Uh, screen grab of the moment that the pass was played. And to be honest, Rodden does look onside. It looks like the fullback is playing him on. And possibly on the centre half. I can't remember. I haven't seen the picture uh, since yesterday. But to me, in the photos and the uh, video back, he does look on. So I don't think there's anything to complain about now. But at the time, I've got to admit, it did look pretty tight. You know what I think more than anything? Like, I've been saying this for years. When do you ever see a Thistle player one-on-one with a keeper? So see when it was played over the top to Rudden and it's a ball that you never see from Doc. He never makes a pass like that. But once Rudden takes a touch, you're almost half expecting the flag just to go up. Because you never... Honestly, I can't tell you the last time I've seen a Thistle player like bearing down on goal. Like, oh, he didn't have a lot of time, but he had a pretty good chance of scoring. So, And I was expecting him just to leather it. So the composure he left over the keeper, what a finish that was. Absolutely, and it was it was exactly what we needed from the game. We talked quite a lot recently about in previous fixtures where it's always just been, oh, if we just get one goal, we'll we'll kick on and we'll we'll win the game. And we just didn't the last couple of games. This is exactly what we needed. It was a total shot in the arm. Whereby, I, I, I'll be honest, the the Kelly defence are really poor for the goal. Like they, they, that's, I, if I was a Kelly fan, I'd be raging at how poor they were defending that goal. But um, exactly, I absolutely agree, Reese. Like you never see one-on-ones with Thistle players against keepers. It's always men in the box. You know, people chucking it in from the left or the right-hand side, just straight down the line. It, I think that's why it was so impactful for me as well because it was literally just a goal straight down the middle, one-on-one, and he's put it in. And you're absolutely right. I didn't, I hadn't thought about it before, but you're absolutely right. And you see that sort of thing with Thistle, you immediately, instinctively think it's offside. Luckily, it wasn't. Well, maybe it was, depending on your persuasion. But um, I mean, in terms of the performance overall, how would you rate Thistle? And how 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 would you rate Kelly? Do you think it was a a good performance from Kelly? I know they could beat, but I mean, like speaking to my friend after the game who'd been watching it, he thought that Kelly were really poor. Do you think this is more of a good Thistle performance or a poor Kelly performance? Um, well, to be honest, I think it was a brilliant Thistle performance. I thought we were to a man. Every player was excellent. Like. Solid at the back, which we've seen for the last maybe month now, six, six seven games. We've been rock solid at the back. Um, obviously, the goal-scoring form kind of died down a bit, but at the weekend there, I think what what actually helped us was the extra man in, in midfield, Conor Murray coming in for Brian Graham, because all the, knockdown, uh, the knockdowns from Zach Rudden, Murray was picking him up, or Kel Turner was picking him up, which in recent weeks we haven't seen that, because at times Graham and Rudden stood too far apart or they were too close and they were going for the same header. It just wasn't linking up. Obviously, they both of them help us get a lot of goals, but maybe the link-up play at times wasn't working in the last few weeks. Um, in terms of Kelly, I've, I've said that like, for months now on this podcast, I just don't think Kelly are great shakes. They've got a few decent players, but like it's a completely new squad, and I feel it's it's a bit of like trying, trying to force these players to gel a bit. And you've seen with the defen- the, their defence at the weekend, Rudden was giving them a hell of a time. Um, and obviously their left back should have been sent off I'm sure we'll touch on that soon but Ewan Murray a lot of people say he's the best defender in the league 
Brudden was destroying him. There was one that obviously led to the the red card incident, um, where he just chipped over his head and it was one on one again. They couldn't get near Rudden, um, and they were a bit they were a bit toothless up front as well because I mean they had chances. The ball fell to him in the box a few times, and he'd blazed it over the bar. Um, and then right at the end, that would have been so typical of Kelly this season, snatching 90th minute winners, snatching 90th minute equalisers. But obviously, Sneds has kept us in it right at the death. So if I was to say one of the two, I'd actually say it was more of a good Thistle performance than a bad Kelly. But Kelly fans would debate that. Jamie, our first quarter of the season was defined by our inability to defeat teams at Inverness, Kelly, Arbro, Freyth, basically everyone who was above us. We've now drawn with Inverness kept a clean sheet against them and then against Kilmarnock and defeated Kilmarnock away when Kilmarnock have really been defined as, as we said, a team that's very stodgy, defensively well set up, it's Tommy Wright all over and then they snatched last minute winners and we managed to hold them out. Would you call this a statement win? I mean, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, it's probably one of the toughest away venues to go to in the league this season. We've gone there, got three points, kept a clean sheet and yeah, I'd say it is a statement one. Obviously, we're still in fifth, though, so we'd start moving up the table if we really want to send out a big statement. We've got a chance to do that with the next run of fixtures, hopefully keep this unbeaten run going and hopefully keep a winning run going as well. But I'd say it is a statement victory. And obviously, the 0-0 at Inverness, I said uh, on the board last week, thought we were pretty lucky, rode a luck in that game. Got a point, and we probably didn't deserve one. But this week, we deserved the three points. You know, we, you know, we deserved our victory and... Four points from the top two in the league is no bad outcome of those games, especially in the Inverness game when we didn't we didn't really deserve it. So I am happy with it, and I do agree. Probably as a statement one. Reese, would you agree with that? Definitely, I'm sure. Like a lot of the teams looking around the grounds at half time, seeing Fisher one now up, and and that win has actually opened up the whole top half of the league. Like, was it five points separate us from the top? And there's what three other teams, four other teams in between us. Like, it's it's wide open now. So. I would say it was a statement win for us and it's actually like it's a good focal point of our good run of form because the 3-0-0 draws alright you're unbeaten but it's not really saying much um, and you look you look back further the 6-1 win against Hamilton they were in the Prem last year we were in League 1 last year we beat Kilmarnock who let's be honest they're, they're a bigger club than should be in the Championship and we went there went to their patch and beat them 1-0 kept them out so let's hope we can keep up the clean sheets like the defence I know Akinola came in for a lot of praise, but Mayo has been absolutely excellent, excellent in the last couple of weeks. And I also want to give a wee shout out to Scott Tiffany. Like so often, we just know him as a guy that gets to the byline, he creates goals, he scores goals. But I thought he was brilliant at the weekend. He was almost playing more of a left wing back role. The amount of tackles he put in the first half, down in the opposite corner, constantly the guys couldn't get by him, um, and his work rate's second to none. We've talked a lot about how Tiffany's at double mark to these struggling to get past players and we're, when we're struggling in games and then suddenly he's turning it around and nobody can get past him. Um, it's kind of good. But you mentioned Mayo, obviously. Um, Mayo's been called up for under-21 duty with Scotland, so he will be out for next week. How big of a blow is uh, the loss of Mayo for next week, Jamie? I mean, it's a huge blow. Like Reese has said, he's been fantastic in recent weeks. Spotted another great game on Saturday. Him and Akinola formed a fantastic partnership despite, you know, the youth in the middle of the park in the defence. They've been fantastic. You know, they've barely put a foot wrong. The fullbacks, I think, have been, you know, good in recent weeks as well, or mainly. And that back four, you know, they've not conceded a goal for five out of the last six games in the league and 
obviously Jamie Sneddon as well has been a big part of that, but the back four have also played an important role. You know, it'd be a bit disruptive, you know, having to take Mayo out for international duty, but I understand why he doesn't want to turn down the chance to, you know, be playing for Scotland under twenty ones. But I'd like to see McKenna come in at centre half and keep the full backs the same. But I have a feeling McCall will probably move Holt to the middle, put Foster on the left and put McKenna on the right. But I wouldn't mind just keeping it the same, but just putting McKenna in the middle, I feel it would be less disruptive to the bat line and keep the formation at the back that was being, you know, keeping clean sheets instead of fiddling about for too much. But we'll see what he does. But it's, it's going to be a big blow because Mayo's been fantastic. And also, there's another thing. He is actually a threat in the opposition box. I know he put a couple of headers wide the other day, but he does win headers in the opposition box. And, you know, one of these is eventually going to go in. So, 100%. I think, me personally, like, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I love Lewis Mayo. I think he's... A terrific footballer. I think he's got all the attributes to have a great career. He's good on the ball. He's great in there. He's fast. He's strong. You can't ask for much more. And he's versatile. He can play a number of positions. He can play full-back. He can play in front of the back four. Or he can play, obviously, at the heart of defence, which we've seen. And him and Tunji have built an incredible partnership for the age of the two of them, 22 and 21. It's, it's been brilliant to see. And it's, it's almost sad, in a way, that he's going to end up going back to Rangers. I heard that his contract's up at the end of the season, but I'd love to have him back on a permanent deal, but you know, you know, just by watching him, that he's he's going to have bigger and better things than Thistle in his career, uh, and I think he will end up playing for the the national team at the senior level. So you, you can't begrudge him going away to play there. I'm sure that if McCall probably could have said to him, "Don't call it Mayo," do you know what I mean? Like they could have came to some sort of agreement, but and we do have decent options. Like I think, um, I think McKenna's a cracking player. And I do think his best position is centre-half for us. We've not really seen him much there. And you can also move in Kevin Holt, as Jamie said, but that would just end up maybe a backward step. We're switching defence around a bit again. It's a huge loss, but hopefully we've got enough in the tank to beat her. I've got to put a question to you. Yes or no answer? Jamie Snedden's currently, I believe, at four consecutive clean sheets. Uh, the record is five, which is held by Snedden, right, and I believe the goalkeeper from 1921. We play air next week. Hamilton then Queen of the South. Do you think Snedden will break the clean sheet record? Yes or no? Hey, Jamie? Yes. Reese? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say yes as well. But uh, all it takes is one wee shite to go and then your record's gone. And it, it's frustrating for him that we conceded that goal away to Hamilton because they'd already be on par with the record now. And, and obviously, Mayo being out, you're just worried a wee bit. Like, you don't know what the defence will be like. But I'm sure we'll do it. The, the next three games are such like they're, they're pivotal in that we are playing teams that we beat last time and are lower on the, at the end of the table. Inverness and Kelly have to play each other. You've got a bro from Wraith near all having to play each other while we're playing teams in the lower end. Is is this is this our chance to claw it back? Or do you do you see us with three wins coming out of this? Do you think we'll be in a position to challenge the title if we win all three games? 100%. If we can win those three games, I mean, that's nine points. What we're on just now, 21. We'll be sitting pretty on 30 points going into the big fixtures. So, definitely. We're only five points off. Like, I remember people were saying, like, after we lost to Ray Rovers, title race is done. Like, you can give up your hopes of promotion. And people were saying to me as well, ah, that's Fissel bottled it. And I'm like, six games into the season. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've still got 30 to go. Like, it's a long, long season. Um, but, as you say, if we manage to pick up pick up the points and these fixtures coming up we'll be in a right good position to have a go for it and as you've mentioned they're all playing each other so who knows what can happen 
it as well as that our games after that are with our bro from Rafe are at Far Hill. So, you know, Fortress Far Hill. That it's a, we like we're not having to play in the wind tunnel at our bro and again we'll we'll see what where Rafe are by that point, because that's what four game four or five games down the line where at that point you're you're pretty much approaching the halfway point of the season. And at that point you're you're solidifying the table. You you kinda expect where teams are going to be there or thereabouts, whether they're going to be in the playoffs or fighting relegation or just you no know, floating about in sixth or seventh. So I think it's a really, really great time where theoretically we can we can beat Hamilton, we can beat Queen of the South, Air, and then go in and our bro from Rafe for Hill. Like there's no reason why we can't win those games. Like we should be winning those games and then at that point you're on what six consecutive wins in a row. Um, like nine clean sheets. Like, well, if it was clean sheets, it'd be like nine clean sheets. You're like, you're you're into proper like run territory if if you're doing that. And then at that point, the the amount of goodwill from the fans and the confidence in the squad if we were able to win those three games and go in and have from Reef. By the time we get to Inverness, we absolutely be right in there, like in a proper battle. Jamie, what do you think? The title race, I don't know. I've been saying all season that I think we'll finish third or fourth, but now I'm giving the leeway in a second. But I don't know. I don't know if we have enough in us for the title race because, as I've said before, Kamarik seemed to just be able to shithouse crap 1 0 wins, which we, I know we won 1 0 the weekend, but you know, when they're not when they're not on their game, which obviously the 3 0 0s, we struggle to do that when we're not on our game. If teams sit in against us, we do struggle to break them down. That obviously could change if we put a great run together. Hopefully we can in the next three games. I think the next three games could be quite telling to see. If we do, if we manage to put a good run together, then I could be saying at the end of that, yes, we've got a great chance going into winter, you know, to come out in the second half of the season and push for a title. But I feel it's quite hard to tell right now, but I'd like to think so. We've got one of the best front lines, if not the best in the league. The defence is becoming more and more solid every week after a shaky start to the season. I think we've got a good midfield, you know, we've got good wingers. We can probably do maybe one more winger coming in in the window, but I think we've got a really good squad and there's no reason we shouldn't be minimum top four. That's what McCall will want. He knows that's what he wants. That's he won't be happy with fifth or something this season. He doesn't want mid table, he wants to get minimum playoffs. He said it multiple times. So we'll just have to wait and see how the season pans out. For all of you out there who have got twenty minutes into this podcast and hands are shaking as you're lacking your vital, nutritious Mac Greer content, worry not. Um, we've got something to tide you over while he's on his imposed exodus to go away and get married. As me and Matt met up with Sandy Fife and Andrew Donnelly of the Jags Foundation to discuss the current status of the fan ownership process and a bit more about the Jags Foundation. We're now joined by two board members from the Jags Foundation, Andrew Donnelly and Sandy Fife. Guys, thanks very much for joining us tonight. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for inviting us, Matt. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thanks for getting us on. Good, good to speak to you. Now the, the first question we want to ask is just, just a simple one. Um, what is the target for the sort of membership of fan ownership and how is that progressing at the moment? 
Yeah, um, progressing great, Matt. Honestly, um, sky's the limit. Um, really, really optimistic about this, you know. And um, we've got those two thousand season ticket holders. So, question is, why would all of them not not want to join in? Can we be a part of it? Um, we, we've been uh, researching this for for a number of time. The frustrating element for us, Sandy, wasn't it? We couldn't really get out and speak to fans because of pandemic. Uh, but we kind of realised through research that we've got many, many fans that are simply unable to come to games on a regular basis through the location that they stay, work commitments, social activities, etc. So we believe that we can reach out to, to all Thistle fans across the spectrum and get them on board. I mean, I'm sure your viewing figures, your listing figures uh, kind of outstrip uh, the attendances at Far Hill all the time. And it just shows you how, how big a club that we could potentially be. I was going to say, we just obviously mentioned about uh, stretching out to different spectrums of, of fan, you know, and one thing I was quite interested in is obviously Matt's a couple of years younger than myself. I think I still, I'm clinging on to being calling myself a young Thistle fan for now, but um, <laughs> I think uh, certainly for people in my generation, maybe a wee bit lower, maybe don't have much of an experience of what it's like behind the scenes at Fahill, so, so to speak, you, you just go every week, you know, you, you buy your programme, your pie or whatever, and then they get beaten and that's you for the rest of the week and you come back and you, you kind of, you don't see all the sort of inner workings so much. And I think there are a lot of people my age are kind of a bit inexperienced about that. So what would you say to people who maybe are a wee bit younger and don't have any sort of experience of knowing people in the club and knowing a bit more about it, if you know what I mean? I think first of all, don't beat yourself up, David. Like I'm still in my forties, and I still see myself as a young Thistle fan. You know, <laughs> you know. Listen, we're. A, I mean, I believe we believe that we're a, a unique club, a unique bunch of fans. I mean, just because you're you're real, you're really young, but there's not too many football fans that can say they live in a city with two giants on their doorstep. You know, and and we choose the pain of bleeding red and yellow. You know, I mean, many times have you guys been asked? Like, who do you really support on a night out? Or like, what school did you go to? Or, you know, like, who do you really want to win between the ugly sisters? You know, it's it's just something that, you know, I think, uh, you know, it just means that we're a bit different to, to the rest of them. But you know, the kind of message to, to younger folk is, listen, don't feel overawed. Get involved. Uh, we, we, we've discounted membership for, for young fans, concessions to £5 to make it affordable for everybody. You know, you, you don't need to have a legal background, your financial background, you know, you don't even own a company. You just have to have a love for Thistle, you know, and, and have an opinion about the direction of the club. I'm sure, you know, as you're going on away trips or you're, you're in a woody after the game or you're in a stadium and you have opinions of the club, you know, and we really want all of these people to come on board and become a part of this. And, you know, the more people we get involved, the better. I think I think that's absolutely right, and and Andrew, even on this journey, everyone on the on the board of the Jags Foundation has probably had learning experiences along the way, and you know no one should be intimidated. I mean, I I think part of our role is actually to educate people, including the younger fans, uh, as to what the workings of the club are, so that they can have opinions on them. Definitely. I mean, you, you're thinking this is going to be a fan-owned club. It's not a fan-run club. You're not kind of getting somebody to go and pay the bills and sign the players and stuff like that. You know, and if you think about a younger fan, you know, you're going to be supporting us for an awful lot longer than what some of the older guys would be, you know. So the message is get on board early, you know, tell your kids, your grandkids, your family, you were a founder member and, and you became a part of this right at the start, you know, and, and made it a real success. Absolutely. I think we all think it's a great opportunity. And um, the next thing I wanted to ask you was, what sort of 
specifically made you two both want to get involved. You're both on the board. And Sandy, you mentioned just before we started recording, you've you've been really busy recently. What sort of things have you have you been up to? Yeah, I think sometimes on the exterior, it's looked like we've maybe not been doing a lot from time to time. <laughs> Part of that, when the when the statement came out recently, it made it apparent why there's been the weight that there has been in terms of issues in respect to Colin Weir's estate. But we're still really busy. I mean, the email traffic in the last few days on various issues, um, the WhatsApp group. And I, and I think it's quite good because there's a lot of diverse opinions in there. You know, we all have to compromise from time to time. Um, and But there's a lot of energy and a lot of opinions in there, which is which is brilliant. And in terms of why I got involved was because... Um, I absolutely believe, <laughs> it won't surprise you to learn that I think we've just got the best fans and um, that we can make the best version of fan ownership that anyone else can. And it's a unique opportunity f- for us, but I really believe that. And and during this process, in terms of some of the engagement uh, pieces that Andrew and I have done, that's just backed that up completely. And, and actually... We've got even better fans than I realise, with more skills and more diverse skills and so much to give. And that's why I want to get so many of them involved as possible. And um, I, I I want to do this for the fans, to give them the best opportunity. And, you know, uh, that that's why I spent putting the hours to try and, try and make this progress. Do, do you know, Sandy, when you think of the, the early days and see the, see the guys, see the people we've met up with, we've had... You know, people that run multinational companies. Uh, there was a guy who does just all the software for all the restaurants in the UK. He's a Thistle fan. People in Westminster. There's, you know, it's it's across the board. You know, and, and I keep using this phrase like bleeding red and yellow because that's kind of what it is. Like you're a Thistle fan, just because you kind of get to games, you're always like scurrying away looking for the score, trying refreshing Twitter to see if Tom's kind of updated what's going on, try to, try to listen to the games, get get highlights and all these kind of things. For myself, um, I was a wee bit unsure at the start because I just didn't know if I had a skill set that actually actually fit in with things. You know, I, I sat in my hands and uh, just through kind of conversations with friends, uh, I kind of realised that I've got three young boys and they all love this as well. And, and I just re- didn't really like the idea of you know, uh, potentially in the past we might have been sold off for foreign investment and risk of future. And I thought, I'm going to step up and show those kids, you know, what this means to me and and I kind of took the bold step. And um, it's been, it's been, it's been great. You know, it's been great being a part of this. Um, have you had any consultation with like other clubs who are like support, fan-owned like Hearts or Motherwell or just like general supporters trust? What have you, you reached out to them? What have, what have you found from speaking to them? Yeah, so uh, right right at the start, um, neither Andrew nor I, but but other people um, spoke with uh, representatives of Motherwell and Hearts, and a lot of the documentation um, in respect to the setup was broadly based on Motherwell and Hearts as well. But since then, we we did a bit of research, and um, there's a thing called the Football Index, which measures fan engagement and who's good at it and who isn't good at it. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but the top two clubs for the last couple of years in England are Wimbledon and Exeter on that uh, football index fan engagement matrix, um, and they're both fan owned. Um, so we've also reached out to them, and and uh, they've been kind of generous with their time as well. So we we have been trying to get collate 
from all the all the data out there rather than just the obvious ones um, and try and cherry pick what we think is best from each and use that to inform our, our documentation and our policies going forward. Yeah, like, like when you look at Hearts uh, specifically, um, what they've done is, is it's astronomical, you know, over 12 and a half million they've raised so far, you know, and it's not just through monthly subscriptions, you know, they have, I think, all maroon points for you. When you put money into the club, you, you know, you get like pledgers uh, and become eligible for, eligible for kind of series of rewards under the schemes and souvenirs. And when you get to certain amount of points, you get you get various awards and ceremonies and souvenirs. And I mean, it's amazing what they've done. They, they've done premium benefit discount cards. For you know, in fact, Matt, you'd like this one because uh, even for wedding days, you're getting discounted wedding stuff. You know, uh, you know, so you can keep up your second weddings. You know, <laughs> food and drinks and hotels and sports and, and it really, it's 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 massive. And you can see the success that they had specifically when, when they were probably equally shafted in by the SPFL when they when they were demoted. You know, they had such a successful season with the with the, with the amount that our fans put back into the club again. You know, no, that that is really good to hear. I think that is important. That's good to hear. I mean, I firmly believe that when you've got a large community of fans, you know, and, and obviously the more people you have involved, the bigger, you know, the, the, the kind of tsunami starts to create. You know, businesses really want to get involved. You know, it's a really competitive market. They're keen to come out and, and get access to, to details. And again, as we, we said, you know, there's 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 a, a massive range of, of Thistle fans out there that, that, that want to entice people getting involved. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's in such a benefit, you know, when we when we engage with fans early on, they were quite keen to say, look, we don't want to have this at the beginning, but this is something we want to potentially look at as we start to gather some steam. Some steam. Oh, good stuff. Um, the, the next question I want to ask, I suppose it's, it's two questions uh, sort of tied together. Firstly, what's the sort of minimum members this needs to be viable? And by viable, I mean the club to sort of remain competitive. Will fan ownership, is there a ceiling to fan ownership? Because obviously some fans were excited last well, about eight, two years ago now when Shen Lee was maybe going to invest. What are the differences between fan ownership and something like that? And again, but just the first bit, what is the sort of minimum number of members you need to make it viable? What we're told at, at the moment, and and uh, we understand to be the case, is that the clubs break even, which is great. I mean, we've just seen the results published recently in the last few days and um, before the AGM. Um, Debt-free as well, which is also great. I know you've got a question going to come up about that, so we'll leave that till then. But what that means is that the situation that is envisaged is that the board will continue to be responsible for the football club board will continue to be responsible for the raising of all the finance that's needed to make the football club work and function just in the same way as the football club board is responsible for that just now but in addition we will have another revenue stream which is the funds that the jags foundation um, generate um with an intention for the jags foundation to donate the excess uh, funds each year to the club, perhaps for general usage, for perhaps for specified usage, perhaps for a, a hybrid of the of the two. That will be up for the for the Jags Foundation Board and members to decide at the time. But the important thing is that's seen as additional revenue, and so from a financial perspective, there shouldn't be really 
a minimum number of members to make it work. However, that minimum number of members does come in in terms of the, this is about a community and the more people that are involved, the, the better, because the Thistle community is all of us. And so we all need to be involved. We need that melting pot of diverse opinions and views to, to make this a robust organisation. And, and I think, you know, we've had a pretty strong steer that Colin Weir wished it to be all encompassing throughout the wide range of the fans and also to be fit for purpose, of course. And to be fit for purpose, we need to get as many of these different voices in as possible. So financially, I don't think there really is a minimum. Um, as long as the football club board continue delivering the goods as they've done so brilliantly throughout the pandemic. But in terms of numbers of people, as Andrew's first question said, the sky's the limit and the more the better. And some of these clubs that we've compared with in the last answer about uh, in the South, who do the fan engagement so well, um, you know, they've got three and a half thousand members and they're not really bigger football clubs than us. So whilst I'm not being so uber confident that we're going to reach those numbers quickly over time you know we we can generate a lot of members i'm sure as we begin to demonstrate the the good that this brings and just on that point there's a public meeting upcoming um where we'll be doing a presentation and some q a and part of that is we're working on some financial models to just demonstrate to the fans that if you get involved if we make it work if we ha hit these various numbers of members Here's how much that will generate for the football club. And I think that when that puts real pounds, shillings and pence in front of the fans, that will really make that come to life. I mean, we've pretty much done that work already, so that will definitely be available in the next couple of weeks. Oh, listen, absolutely. It's really exciting. I mean, you, want to, you want to aim for the stars, don't you? You, 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 want to, you want to aim big. You know, we've stressed that it's going to be kind of one vote, one member, so it's not as if... You know, the, the people with deeper pockets get a bigger same thing. So everyone's say is really important. We, we want to go to local businesses and make them feel that they have to be a part of this. You know, we, we want, we've, like you say, you, you look at 2000 season deck holders. The question is, why wouldn't anyone come and be a part of it? You know, I, I, you know, we can all think of people that don't don't make it. To to, to follow my dad, for instance, he just he's getting a bit older these days. You know, it's a bit it's a bit of a walk up the hill and he's a bit cold in the winter time, but he still loves the thistles. You know and uh, oh, definitely. So you know, and we've all we all know people like this, you know, um, and we just wanted to just you know get the message out there. We've had a really good start in terms of memberships, haven't we, Sandy? Um, you know, so it's it's just trying to push the positives as much as we possibly can, you know. Do you think there'll be a direct correlation between how many members there are and success on the on the pitch? Well, well, Matt, I just saw a thing today. Um, I don't know how true it is, which was the the wages bills in the English Premier League um, and uh, when you look at Man United's compared to everyone else's there's not a direct correlation between what they're spending on wages and the uh, and the results of the pitch at the moment that's for sure so I don't think you, I don't think even even in the most enthusiastic Jags Foundation member would uh, claim that we can give you a money back guarantee that that will be the case but it's got to be yeah. putting building blocks in place to, to try to make that happen. And if you think back, you know, a few years ago to the, the you had the one Thistle year where it really felt the club were all pulling together, you know, and um, the hope is that fan ownership will make everyone pull together um, for, for a common goal. And I think that will result uh, ultimately in greater pride or 
maximum pride, I should say, taken by by the players that all, and everyone feeling that are pulling in the same direction, and that can only be good for the results on the pitch. Yeah, Matt, we used to joke at the beginning and we'd say, right, let's go and raise a, a million quid, give it to McCall and get Lauren Shanklin. So, you know, if you could do that kind of thing, obviously, you know, it would make a difference in the part. But listen, the, the fans are going to be the majority shareholder. So it's what the fans want to see the club's future. You know, you, you know, it might be, you know, a training ground, you know, it might be doing stuff for the stands, it might be uh, youth academies, it might be just go and get the best team you can get and pull out your extra money in the transfer budget. No, the majority shareholders decide a lot of these things or they, you know they certainly put put that foundation together so it's up to us and, and that's the exciting thing and we we we, we stand or we we set a fur hole in in, in in our grounds on a saturday and and we have our say and we have our opinions and well now we can actually do something really tangible about this and and andrew also um we've had offers of help for for fundraising events and and other things so it's not even just the memberships it's beyond that the other money that that can be raised and again sorry to go on about other people but some of the other examples of this you know probably less than 50 percent of their income is is received from member subscriptions there's all the other things by engaging with that community and and running community events that people um feel they can contribute to when you look at the 12 and a half million raised by by heart so far that's not coming from monthly subscriptions you can you've not got that big a fan base you, you, you can Guarantee that for a fact, you know. I mean, Matt, we miss out on this that we're not having to raise money to buy this club. You know, this is a, a lot of these clubs out there have had to do that. Uh, Hearts have still got to do that. They've got to pay on budget off. We've been gifted this. This is an incredible opportunity, you know, and it's for us as fans to go and grasp it and make it work. I think for me, one thing, more tangible thing, I suppose, because obviously there's the compulsion of when, you know, the team are not doing very well, you get the old stereotypical people chucking their season tickets in the canal, I'll no be back until he's gone, <laughs> all that nonsense, right? We've all done it, right? Um, but I think, you, you're, you're, I think you're more likely to look at, um, in terms of correlation, in terms of good and bad, I think you probably want to be looking at stuff like the 71 Club or the Centenary Fund. I think I know, but yeah, so like looking at stuff like the 71 Club and the Centenary funding going, there's probably lots of people who just never unsubscribe from that just because it's kind of one of those things. It's not as um, upfront and tangible as like a season ticket where it's like, oh, I'm just not going to go, whatever. People are probably more likely to keep those sort of things going just purely because they know it's helping the club out a bit more and be more interested in sort of the correlation with that sort of stuff as opposed to like a season ticket in terms of how many people chuck that when we're not doing very well because I don't think it will be as much as it would be season tickets and I think that's probably where you're going to be more, lying more if you know what I mean but I wanted to ask just because Donners had brought up about how we've been gifted the shares for this we've not had to buy the club back we're, we don't have any debt and in fact we as you mentioned earlier the our financials came out recently and showing that even though we did take a bit of a hit, we still actually made a small profit last year, so we're still debt-free. How how important is being debt-free to this and to, for you in terms of uh, making it a success? How how important is, you know, I think it's Muddle had like five years where they've had to pay back the, the person who they owe money to and stuff like that, and now they're, they're starting to get into the point where they're not having to pay as much. How, how important is it for Fissile that we don't have any of that? Uh, Matt, I think that's absolutely massive. And the reason I think it's so important is because right from day one, the membership funds 
I mean, you talk about the correlation between the members and 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 the club and the the membership funds will ultimately be going to the club from day one rather than to service debt or pay off debt um, or pay off previous shareholders. And so that means that people can feel like they're contributing to the success of the club from day one, which I think is a much better psychological equation than, than thinking you're paying off someone that you maybe um, have no time for because they, they were from a previous era or whatever. And I, I, I honestly believe that psychologically for the fans, knowing that the pounds that they put in to the Jags Foundation will make their way to the club from day one is hugely important. But I also think in terms of fan ownership that confidence in it should be higher because we've not got an overhang of debt from the past as well. And, you know, it has to be, kudos has to be given to the current board um, and and three black cats for getting into a position that they can hand over the club, particularly after these really challenging COVID um, times, they can, they can still hand over the club to um, a fans organisation in a debt-free situation. I think the last question we wanted to ask that we've got, and then we'll open it up to you if you want to chat about anything else. It's just about Hill and any sort of training ground, because I know a, a lot of fans, obviously just rumours like they're worried, not anything to do with fan ownership, but you know, we might move away from Hill. will we ever get a training ground? Because that was uh, talked about and planned uh, a good few years ago now. Um, stuff like that, is that going to just be as simple as if the fans want to stay at Hill? We will stay at Hill. Is it as simple as that with fan ownership? Will there be any risk of moving away from Hill if fans don't want to? And are there any plans for a, a training ground? Or is that something, again, that, that fans will vote on as shareholders? To, to break those down, first in terms of a training ground, I mean, that would be an operational decision of the football club board. Now, it might be that, as, as again, one of our examples, Wimbledon have done when they want to, to buy back their ground, um, they went on a fundraising drive through their fan ownership vehicle to raise the funds to do that, as Hearts have done to pay off Anne Budge as well, as Motherwell have done as well. So that that could be an avenue to bring the, the dream of a training ground to life. Um, it might be that the money raised by the Jags Foundation um uh, at the Jags Foundation AGM, there's a resolution that, yeah, hand it over to the club, but it needs to be ring-fenced for a training ground. But but these are all decisions for the future. What we um, have been really keen to do is to not bind the boards of the future. We've really seen ourselves, this current Jags Foundation board, as facilitators for the transition rather than trying to bind people in the future, boards in the future, to give them as maximum flexibility as possible. Um, so that should a training issue become a big issue for the membership of the Jags Foundation, they've got the freedom to go and say to the club, look, we've got 500 grand sitting in the bank. We want to give it to you, but we want to give it to you for a training ground. And it's hard to see many boards um, of the football club probably look, look that gift horse in the mouth. But ultimately, it would be that football club board's decision at the time to, to go ahead with that project or not. I think I think the other thing to, to add in there would be, 
you know, within the, the Jags Foundation, the members, you would then look at, lean on the, the skill set you have within the group. You know, so if you're raising that collective amount of money, you probably have, well, what we do with architects, building contractors, financial experts, you know, and, and, and you can look at their their expertise to, to, to kind of see how feasible that dream is. And if, it, if it's something that we can do, then you can look at appointing them onto the board, you can vote them onto the board, and, you know, that becomes part and parcel of the club being running that way. But again, fans are the majority shareholders. So it gives us the opportunity to make these things happen if there's a will for it to happen. And and just on the on the ground, because that was the second part of the question, there is a proposition that we will be trying to put some protocols in place. But well, we will um, be putting some protocols in place between the club board and the majority shareholder, um, i.e. the fans organisation, and those would cover things such as sale of grounds. So it could not be done without ultimately the approval of JAG's foundation membership or or certainly board. We would probably refer it to the membership if it were an issue of such fundamental importance such as that. So I actually think you mentioned foreign investors earlier in the call, and I actually think this gives us much more security than a foreign investor because the fans do have a say in where Park this will play football. I think that's great to hear. I think that'll put a lot of ease in people's minds as well. Um, thanks thanks very much for answering all the questions we had. Is there anything you want to bring up, anything you want to raise that we've, we've missed so far? I, actually, I have one other question I want to ask just before you go on. It's, it's, a fairly, it's, a fairly, it's a fairly simple one. Could you explain the, fan, the sort of fan ownership model for someone, a Thistle fan who may be listening to this who doesn't have a clue what it is, just in very basic layman's terms, like a sort of Cliff Notes version of it, just so they understand roughly what the idea is? Will I have a go at that, Andrew? Oh, you go for it, Sandy. This is your 40. Um, so the fan becomes a member of the Jags Foundation. The Jags Foundation will hold the majority shareholding in the football club limited company as it exists just now, having had it transferred and gifted through the generosity of Colin Weir um, to the Jags Foundation um, with the date estimated as the end of the season. Um, From that point on, the Jags Foundation will be the majority owner of the football club and therefore, each member will be a part owner of the football club by being a member of the ownership vehicle. From that point forward, there will be much greater flow of information um, to, to the fans by the, by the JAGS Foundation as a majority um, shareholder to its members. And there will be working together protocols between the club board and the JAGS Foundation board. And over time, there will be movement, obviously, in, in, the, in the club board. Um, the club board will still solely be responsible for the operational aspects of running the football club. You know, they have skill sets just now, and we will have to make sure that the, the skill sets of the board um, are, are preserved. But nonetheless, the JAGS Foundation will be a democratic organisation 
and that democracy ultimately should hopefully flow through to the football club. Is that okay? Yeah, like, I mean, David, like, you know, Sandy was saying earlier on, <laughs> the accusations of us sitting about not doing much, but we were talking lots and lots of ideas. I mean, I mean, some of the some of the suggestions we had, people were talking about, you know, what, what kind of food's getting served at halftime, you know, can, can we have a say in that? Oh, yes. Design the strip, can we do that? Yes, of course we can. What merchandise are we doing? I mean, Greaves have done a great job recently in, in some mm-hmm. of the things that we do, but fans have got ideas, you know, you know, can we get discounted trips for away fans, you know, can we get free tickets for some of our mates to come along and get, in, get them at Love Park, so it's your club, you know, you know, come and, come and join, get involved, you know, get get your imaginations together, people, fans have got ideas, they just don't have a way of, of making them happen, when you become part of a, a massive group, you can do that, you know, um, I, I know, I know John Sutton, and he was telling me, in these kind of days when he was with Motherwell and I think they were on a European trip in Germany and talking about, I think it was Union Berlin, uh, tailgating parties at the ground, barbecues, they had a live DJ in the stand when they were warming up, you know. Football's a community and, and, and we've got a unique, great bunch of fans and we can really do something really, really special here. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Um, on you go, Matt. Sorry, I know I interrupted you when you were talking, so... No, not at all. I was just going to say, do you have anything else you want to you want to talk about that we've not raised yet? Well, like, do, do you know what we'll do? What we'll do is we'll give you some information and you can attach it to the tweets and stuff like that, you know, for sign up. But it's literally just the Jags Foundation. You know, all the information's on there. Myself and Sandy have done some videos. If you're a wee bit unsure of some things in there that you can see with it, you know, in, in a bit more detail as to what it's going to be like. Uh, we've got uh, an event coming up in early December. You know, we can come into the Aitken Suite and we're doing a presentation, you know, where you can ask your questions. We've got, we've got um, communication available on, on all the social media platforms. You know, so you can go to Facebook, there's, you know, you can send us stuff through Messenger, through Twitter. We've got email, you know, whatever you want, you know, any question that, that's out there. There's no silly questions, guys. You know, just ask them, you know. Um, and, and the answer I would say is, you know, please just find a way. Look, look at look at what you you spend on a monthly basis, and 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 look at your love for Thistle and think, can I can I can I justify a little bit of money every month for my club to make this bigger and make it special? And, and, and you know, and that that that's the kind of question we want everyone to try and to try and do for themselves. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for your time, guys. That, I think that was a great help. I hope people listening found it useful. I've I've found it useful just listening there. So. So thanks very much for coming on and doing this. Last couple of weeks we've talked about how Graham has been coming off uh, before the end of the game and we've been off the the philosophy of if you have Brian Graham in the pitch, unless he's injured, you shouldn't be taking him off. He didn't start this week and he did he didn't score. He came on quite late um, against Kelly and, and we won. W- where does that leave Graham? Do you do you see us going back to the Graham Rudden partnership? Like 
what what do you think the future for Brian Graham is over the next couple of weeks? Will he be back in the eleven? Will he be on the bench? It's, it's a tough one because he's done he's done nothing to merit being dropped. You know what I mean? So, and obviously Rudden was brilliant at the weekend. Are we going to stay with that formation? I can see us stick with it next week. Um, but going forward, I don't really know. I think back at Fur Hill, we might go two up top again. Um, and I think we'll definitely be chopping and changing it a couple of times. Um, but Rudden, uh, Rudden and Graham will definitely both get equal shares of game time. There'll be games where Rudden gets dropped and Graham gets brought in. And that's a that's a luxury of having two great goal scorers. Like we're actually spoiled for choice. Like I actually can't believe that Fuss will have two guys that are I think Rudden's got nine for the season, Graham's got eleven, they've got twenty goals between them, do you know what I mean? That's uh, what what is it now? November. That's that's mental. Usually back in the past you'd have Dolan and then you'd have guys like Antonio German, Nathan Eccleston just floating about who'll chip in with a goal or two a season, do you know what I mean? And it wasn't good enough, albeit it's a league above, but the way we have it right now, with Tiffany as well chipping in, you've got Cammy Smith, Kel Turner, Connor Murray, like all fighting for like two positions really. Um, it's brilliant. So it's it's a selection headache, but it's a brilliant one to have. Jamie, just looking forward to the air game um, on Saturday. Um, Alan McMillan uh, wrote in asking, is four two three one the way forward? We'd kind of speculated it over the last couple of weeks um, that you know Graham has been playing the more of a number ten role. Reese obviously brought up the formation, saying that they're probably going to look at chopping and changing it and then going between that and the four four two. Do you think we'll line up four two three one against Air, or do you think it's going to be back to business uh, for Graham and running up front? I think you'll probably stick with the four two three one because it just works so well against Kamarnik, and obviously it's a different game than Air. But I think he would stick with it and. I hope he does, to be honest. It did work very well. On Brian Graham, I think he will come back into the team in different games. Like, for example, if we were playing air at home, I wouldn't be surprised if we had maybe gone back to 4-4-2 and gone with yeah, Rudden and Graham up top. Because it's a way, I think, and just because of how effective it had worked in the last game, I think we'll probably stick with the formation from Saturday. But I think he'll definitely go back to two up front in different games this season, depending on if he feels the match suits it or previous form or how we've done in the previous game, etc. But We'll chop and change between different formations this season. I don't think we'll stick with any formation for the majority. Sorry for the rest of games, but maybe some more than others. But the four four two works on occasions. The four two three one works on occasions, and it's whatever the game suits and whoever we've done previously and players form. And I do hope we stick with it because it was very very effective against Kilmarnock. Score prediction for Saturday, Jamie. Two 0 Fessel. Reese. Yep, I'll make that a double. Two 0 Fessel too. I'll go 2-0 as well. Um, I think it's going to be probably a, not as tough a game as Kelly, but I think we, we are on a good we are on a good run at the moment. I can see us um, beating there. Um, so 2-0, I'll go a full house. We'll move on to Partridge Thistle. After the delay um, to kick off and at half-time in the Kilmarnock game, uh, after a, a referee uh, was injured in the first half, uh, causing a significant delay at half-time, uh, I want to ask you for Patrick Fissel this week. When have you ever caused a delay? Mate, I'm rubbish with these. I can never think of anything. I, I'm looking forward to you trying to wangle Doctor Who into this no, one. No, there's not. I, I can't. Uh, that's just a copy. Of I mean, I'm so I'm so bad with these. I can never think of anything. Give me a minute. I have to think. Reese, do you have one, or do you want me to go? I'm terrible as well. So we'll turn it around, David. 
Give us your one. <laughs> Gamekeeper come, becomes poacher. Jeez, oh. As Matt, oh, I hope, well, I hope Matt's listening. It's his own podcast. If he's not listening, then heaven forfend who is. But um, as Matt will tell you, I am late for literally everything in my life. Everything. Um, the only time I've been early for anything is when me and my wife like to see Robot Wars and we were there an hour early. That's the sort of priorities I lead in my life. But I think the, the worst delay I've ever done in my life, and it's very ominous considering Matt is getting married on Friday, but I was an hour and a half late for my own wedding. <laughs> and I turned up first between me and my bride. So basically what happened is that my mother-in-law was doing the bride's makeup and also giving me a lift. So she had to com- complete the makeup before she could come and get me to pick me up. So we were meant to be there at like three o'clock and I think we got there at like 25 past four and got family members phoning us. It's the only time I've ever told my auntie to fuck off. Uh, it was when she phoned me asking where I was. I was sitting watching Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace, uh, trying to calm the nerves because I'm about to get married, but I'm sitting there for like an hour and a half waiting. Um, it's frankly incredible that they actually said that they, they actually let us get married because I think they were going to shot in like 20 minutes by the time we'd all got there. But yes, I, I was an hour and a half late for my own wedding, but I was an hour early for Robot Wars, so make of that what you will. Priorities. Aye. <laughs> yeah, I'm having the opposite. I'm one of these people that like I hate being late. I'm ridiculously early for everything. Like Jamie will tell you, well, like seeing a Jordan Hill bus, I'm always like one of the first people on it. Like I'm, I always think, oh, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. I'm pure rushing about. And then I'm there like 40 minutes early. I don't know why I'm like that, but just the way it is. Yeah, it's true. You're also one of the first. But I think anytime I've been there early, you've been there before me. I don't think I've ever got there before you. Yeah. Like man, like man, all that in and off stand, they're like, ah, fuck's sake, did you get here at half one and that? And I'm like, mate, I'm just here like half an hour early. They think I turn up to watch the warm up and stuff, but I'm, I, I go on it like, have to, but they they still in like quarter past three. They've already missed the first fifteen minutes. Like I just hate being late for stuff. Like I suppose being late. Well, I was I was really bad for it when I was younger. I'm not that bad. For, like I'm fine for it now. But as obviously we can't talk David's wedding one. But back in primary school, like, I was late every single day. So bad that like the off you know people in the office they knew my name and they used any time I came in because I had to come in a different door. And you in my primary if you were like so you couldn't go in the, the other doors you had to go up to like the main reception bit and they'd just be like yeah i've already ticked you off it's fine because they just knew i was going to be late every single day i was i was absolutely hopeless at timekeeping in primary I was, it, was, it was just so bad and it, and you know at the start of the year when it was a new teacher they used to be like why have you been late why have you been late but gradually they got used to me showing up like 10 past nine every day so they just they stopped that there that's a, it's a trick if you lower people's expectations if you actually show up on time that they're amazed so it's a, a track. So I've lived my life for the last 32 years, Jimmy. So I had to say, I had to say it straight, man. I had to get better at timekeeping when I got, you know, a little older, be a bit more responsible. So I'm, I'm never, I'm not late for things now. I'm not, not usually anyway. But I'm, I'm certainly not someone who shows up. I'm not good at showing up really early, but I try to show up for things like five, ten minutes early, depending what it is. Like, like even that game, uh, what was it, Morton away? And I was working till half five, and I was like, Jamie, if I'm late for the bus, tell them to wait five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck there like 40 minutes early. I don't know how. Yeah, you were still there before me. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I was like, on the way there, I actually, I'd literally, that's weird, because on the way there, I remember that. I was like, oh, yeah, we said he's going to be late. Oh, I'll make sure, I'll make sure to tell Ian that when I got on the bus. 
And then I just got the bus and just set up the back. I know, mate, I'm always like, I'm, I'm so early, I don't know how I, I always happen to do this stuff. I was just panicking, I was going to be late. Jeez, oh man. Uh, someone else who's, um, I can I can certainly see as Matt is not here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give his um, for him. So when did Matt Greer cause a delay um, on his own stag do when he was 15 minutes late for hospitality and he turned up at quarter to one? He said to me, David, you need to be there for half twelve. Half twelve, repeated it over and over again because he knows I'm late for everything. I was there on the button at 29 minutes past 12. No sign of Matt, who was sitting in the woody drinking pints. Um, and then was like, oh, we better go up and turn up 15 minutes late. So, um, yeah, his own stag do is when Matt caused a delay. And it, it doesn't bear well for the wedding. I'm not going to lie. He's, he's going to be about four hours. So he's going to try and beat Matt records. As always, thanks for listening to Draw, Lose or Draw. We will be back next week to review, hopefully, a win against Ayr. And then look forward to a game against Hamilton. Stay safe and buy a season ticket. Mm-hmm.